you may think you know how to walk or what walking really is, but you might find that walking can be a whole different game than anything you ever imagined. And this is not about instructions, although that might come up, but uh, well, why don't we jump into it? On today's episode of the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body starting feet first, as you know, those things are your foundation where we break up or break up, where we rip apart, where we look at, where we explore, whatever. The mythology, the propaganda, sometimes the lies you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or hike or play or do yoga or CrossFit or dance, dance revolution or e-sim racing, whatever it is you like to do. And to do that enjoyably and efficiently and effectively. Wait, did I say enjoyably? I can't talk. Don't tell me. I know the answer. You did. I know I did. That's a trick question. Because so, look, if you're not having fun, do something different than you are, because you're not going to keep it up if you're not having a good time. I'm Stephen Sashin, your host of the Movement Movement Podcast, CEO and co-founder of ZeroShoes.com. We call it the Movement Movement because we're creating a movement that involves you. It's easy. I'll tell you how in a second about natural movement, letting your body do what it's made to do without getting in the way and interfering with, quote, technology that actually does the exact opposite. Um, so here's how you can participate. It's really easy. Go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. You don't need to do anything to join. There's no secret handshake. There's no cost. You don't need to learn a song or do exercises every morning. That's just the domain that I got. But you'll find previous episodes, all the places you can interact with us on social media, uh, et cetera. And to be part of the movement, moving this natural movement thing forward, just like and share. Give us some reviews. Give us five stars where you can and a thumbs up where you can and hit the like button where you can and the subscribe thing where you, you know what to do. If you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. All right, let us jump in. Jonathan, do me a favor. Tell people who you are and what you do, and then we will jump into things from there. It's really simple. Right on. Well, honored to be here. My name's Jonathan Stalls. I consider myself a walking artist, and so I do a range of things. I multidisciplinary. So sometimes it's I bring a sketchbook in my backpack, and I'll often walk 15 to 20 miles a day, often long distance through towns and counties and um, lots of drawing, lots of writing. And I also do a lot of documenting around pedestrian safety, poetry, all the things. So lots of things. Walk a lot. Well, so the obvious question, how, why, when? That's, I know, three yeah. questions. But how does one become a walking artist? How does one get to what it means to be out in the world walking and pedestrian safety and all those things that concern you? Yes. I Well, I would say... The how is just, you know, this all started, and maybe it connects to the why a little bit, they blend, um, but it started for me in 2010 when I did a walk across the United States. And so this was eight and a half months, 242 days. It was a really personal journey. I was trying to recalibrate a lot of things, and I wanted to learn a lot of things from different teachers, teachers of earth and body and stranger, and I needed to walk things out for a long time. So yes. walking things out is one thing, getting the idea, eh, why don't I just walk across? I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, that's a bit of a leap for most people. It's like, hey, maybe I'll that's do cool. a marathon. Right. Maybe I'll just, you know, take some time. How <laughs> does one get from, I need a little, I need to clear my head to yeah. walk across the United States? Yeah, I just, I, well, I've always, so background to the why too, I've always been an artist. And so I, growing up, I moved every two years of my life. I've, I've been jumping around a lot. So kind of fitting in a big thing about being a new kid in new schools. I went to 14 different schools growing up. And so always trying to fit in, always trying to be liked by the people to feel a sense of belonging in school, in neighborhood. And it was always changing. And 
So all of that stuff was stacking over time. And as an artist, I was trying to create worlds around that sketchbooks, painting, you know, this was my work. I was trying to just move beyond some of that pressure as a kid. And it, it didn't really come to surface until I was in my late teens, early twenties, that this was, um, there were a lot of things I was burying and suppressing hard things just related to my sensitivity, my comfort as an artist, like who am I outside of fitting into a million different groups? Like, who am I? Like, I'm just, I've spent 16 years of my life being who others want me to be. And I, I, I gotta, I gotta get out there and, and, and figure some things out. And, and so it was a mix of that. I'm also, you know, gay LGBTQ. I was coming out. That was really difficult. It was a heavy process. So being an artist, being sensitive, moving all over the place, I was like, I, this is going to require weeks, months. And I'm not sure. I've never done anything like this. My backpack, for those of you who do backpacking and hiking, was 95 pounds. Uh, so <laughs> you can pretty much off the spot, like this guy has no idea. Um, and I had when, my... when, I, when I moved to New York City in 1983, I don't think I had 95 pounds worth of stuff in my car. <laughs> 95 pounds on a Jansport external frame. Flims, I mean, it was... And I had my Blue Healer Husky with me, which was an amazing, you know, that partnership was incredible. And, and yeah, so that, it, and it was a series of things. I stumbled across the book, Walk Across America by Peter Jenkins in the Auraria Campus Library in Denver, Colorado. It was 20 cents. And that, I canceled all my classes. It was two and a half days. I just wept. I screamed. I threw the book. I came back to the book and I read it. And, and it was like, that's it. That's what I need. I got to just... Eight uh, months. Okay. Well, I'm glad you at least had, you know, there was an actual catalytic event because still the leap from, yeah. I got to clear my head to yes. walking across the country was still a little broad. <laughs> Backing up. So 14 schools, um, uh, like military brat or just get kicked out everywhere? Just, it was, so my parents split when I was six and, the, you know, and they both remarried pretty quickly. Uh, early moves. My dad actually played in the NFL and got traded twice. That was that. And then my stepfather, who I ended up living with, and my mother primarily was in the cell phone industry. So this was, I'm 40. And so the walk, the cross country walk was in 2010. So when we were moving, we were the ones building cell phone towers for the first cell phones in rural USA. I mean, these, I grew up with the lifeline of the big, heavy car portable phone yeah, to yeah. what we have now. Yeah. Oh, that's a hoot. So once you got this idea, I mean, you don't just go, hey, I think I'm going to walk across the country. Let me pack everything I own into a backpack and take off. Um, talk to me about once you once it occurred to you to that first step, if you will, what was in between those? Yeah. So in all honesty, I was I was the, kind of the combination of being completely terrified because I just had no idea what I was doing. I was terrified. Where am I going to sleep? Where am I going to eat? I'm not, there's no support. People are dropping me off on the East coast and I'm just going. So all of these really complicated fears were all, you know, boiling at that point. And I was just as equally filled with excitement and adrenaline. And I'm an, you know, I, I'm an athlete too. So I played sports. That was part of my, so some of that, like having a goal, getting to the Pacific ocean, like having some, you know, that th that was helping, but it was, it was a combination of adrenaline and, and, and being terrified. Those first steps. The, uh, the psychologist Fritz Perls, his line is um, anxiety. is just excitement without the breathing. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, there you well, go. But even still, yes. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep, you know, getting you to drill down on this stuff because I find this totally fascinating. <laughs> I mean, yeah. look, I'm someone who, um, planning is not my thing. So uh-huh. I learned, I took a trip to Asia in 1989 and I'd done as much planning as I, I could do, which is not very much. But the moment I landed, I landed in Hong Kong. It was one in the morning. I had a phone number I was supposed to call. I didn't understand the, area code system in Hong Kong. So I was calling someone on the wrong island and waking them up repeatedly at like, you know, one in the morning. And, but then I very quickly learned, I should remember this, a woman comes up to me, she goes, are you looking for somewhere to stay? And it's like, oh, this is sketchy. And she says, wait, hold on. And she hands me a Xerox of a Lonely Planet Guide newsletter that said, I landed in Hong Kong. I didn't know what to do. This woman came up and asked if I needed somewhere to stay. I, I was clueless, so I just went, and it turns out she has an incredible guest house. She goes, that's my guest house. So I went, let's go. And from that moment on, I realized all I had to do was show up, and I could figure out the rest in real time. But walking across the country, I mean, A, did you have a route planned? I mean, that whole thing of where am I going to sleep? What am I going to do? Did you think how much mileage you were going to think about how much mileage you were going to do per day? What were you planning about for food? How long were you, I already said that, how long were you expecting to walk? Uh, where'd you, let's start with the easy thing. Where'd you start? Yeah, it was the Delaware coast. Um, so Lewis, Delaware, which part of my very, very loose planning online, I, you know, I had talked to a handful of people who had done a walk across the country in their own way and people of different backgrounds, a couple women who had done it. And I had just, I, so getting tips and tools from them was really helpful. But I was roughly using what's called the American Discovery Trail, which is this very, you know, it's a national scenic trail. It's technically 6,000 miles because it connects local, regional, and state trails to each other with a lot of gaps. <laughs> and you got to kind of figure it out. And I I just knew, like, I'm probably not going to be on this the whole time, but it was at least helpful to get a sense. And so they that trail starts in the same place I started in Lewis, Delaware, so it was just a night it, it the line straight across the US was was nice and the timing helped I, I tried to loosely guess the timing because I knew I wanted if I could to avoid the snow over the Sierra Nevadas I was going east to west and so those loose things were helping me plan and my planning was honestly it was literally just get to these big cities the cities were kind of the desk the, like the big benchmarks so the first city was DC the next one was uh, Cincinnati the next one was St. Louis, Kansas City, you know, and and just as you you, you described, that's a, it was day by day. Let's see what happens. Let's see who shows up. Let's see what the sun says. Like it was all of that day by day. And it taught me so much about, you know, trusting the moments. We will know. get to that, no uh, doubt. But I'm still backing up a little bit. So what in God yeah. took up 95 pounds? Well, I think, yes. And well, what's so funny is I, this is 95 pounds where I, at the t- at the beginning, my dog had one of those rough wear dog backpacks and I was called out pretty quickly in Washington, D.C. by this. It's a really interesting story. It's it's this guy came out of nowhere, long white hair, probably in his 60s, had overalls, no shirt underneath the overalls. All the skin was out like barefoot character came up to me out of nowhere and just started petting my dog talking a language I didn't understand and was just and then turned to me really quickly and just said dogs are not made to carry weight on their back they're made to pull weight so you need to take this backpack off if you're going to do any more mileage and then he just got up and left and 
so grateful I did because my dog has had a really long back. And uh, anyway, so the 95 pounds was in addition to, <laughs> to what Kanoa was already carrying. So at one point, it probably was more than 95 pounds when I took everything off of there. It was extra. It just, I thought I needed extra of extra, like extra. Oh, I, need, I need a couple more extra socks. Like I really need maybe an extra, uh, you know, the layers were unnecessary. I had a lot of unnecessary um, just silverware utensil things I had. And I got rid of it quick. After DC, that backpack went down to 65 pounds. Uh, it, it got down quick. Did it keep going from there? Did you What's end- that, uh, to keep going down? Yes. Yeah. yeah did you end I up started just like- cutting toothbrushes, limiting, yeah. I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I took a... Um, Oh, I learned so much. And as I, you know, I went through the desert and I learned quickly too, that I don't, I don't want to have a backpack through the high desert. So I, a friend of mine who had done a long walk, Polly Latovsky, um, had a custom baby stroller, a Bob stroller that had, that was customized. So I'm now in the desert of Utah, pushing a, um, pushing a stroller across the uh, highway 50, which was amazing. So on that discovery trail, how much of it, um, what are the, um, how do I want to put it? How much of it is trail? How much of it is roads? How much, I mean, where in those gaps, what'd you have to do? I mean, by the way, you're mentioning like Delaware to DC, that's going in the wrong direction. Technically that's just heading South. And then if the next one is, is Cincinnati, uh, that's a hell of a trip just to that be your next spot. In fact, you just reminded me, I bought a car. Uh, I'm out here in Colorado. I bought a car that was in Buffalo, New York, and I connected with a friend of mine who was coming from D.C. back to Colorado, and he rented a car and we met mm-hmm. in Cincinnati with the idea that we would then drive the rest of the way together. Now, by the way, the punchline is he was going just under the speed limit and would not use cruise control and was one of those guys who put his foot on the gas, took it off the gas. So it was constantly like, Ugh. and I said, do you not like cruise control? He goes, nah, it kind of puts me to sleep. I said, do you not like going over the speed limit? He goes, nah, I got a bunch of tickets in the past. I'm a little nervous about the speed limit. I said, oh, then uh, I don't like you driving. So I drove the rest away and just driving the rest away was, un- yes. was crazy. Right. So, you know, there are cities between oh, yeah. DC and Cincinnati, FYI. Uh, totally. I just, these were the ones that I, cause I wanted to be, I learned quickly that I didn't. So I got off the, what's called the ADT, the discovery trail. I actually got off of it within a couple of days. I just was like, I want to, like, I, I would just talk to people. You meet people, the woman you mentioned who just approached you. I just start and I, they would just say, well, actually this road, it, it, this, this back way or cut through that ranch or go down by that creek, or you're really going to want to get to this town. This is where you're maybe going. And I would just listen to local people. And, and I learned that I actually was drawn more to the roads were stressful and hard and, and I needed to get off of them for serious stretches of time. But primarily I was drawn to going in and out of small towns and villages and going, I loved learning about these little villages and towns all across the country. Like they were just, it motivated me as a, as a, as a destination going into like sticky diners, talking to people after some good solitude and movement. I, so I ended up doing a lot, a lot more road walking than I had originally planned, which, which was amazing, which was great. I stayed with 120 strangers on this trip. So the 242 days and 120 people who, invited me or over time like learned about me through other people throwing lasagnas out the truck <laughs> as they're driving by i had people bury 
berry things in the high desert. Like I wanted Dr. Pepper, water, and gummy bears and beer. Those were the four things on my list. Those are the four. Talk about healthy mood. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway. The the fifth, fifth, by the way, is chocolate, just in case people were wondering. Right. 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 Yeah. (laughs) So, so uh, what were you doing for money? Yeah. So I, um, I only, this was, I mean, because it was such a, I needed to do it. Things were not going well. You know, I was going through hard things. I was just like, I, my mental health was really just not, it wasn't steady. It wasn't grounded. And so I just knew it needed to happen. And I was prepared to work along the way. It may not, I may not, this timeline may not work out and it may be a couple of years. I may have to divert. I may have to pause. So I literally left with a thousand dollars in my account, but I also did some work. I wanted to support, you know, a cause of some kind to kind of get out of you know, I wanted something that I could, you know, talk to people about that I believed in. And there was a group that I had connected with in some of my college courses called Kiva, which is a group that helps um, small businesses all over the world and in the U.S. with through micro lending, just get started or help save or support their business in crisis. And I loved it. And so I was raising awareness for this organization, doing little talks and and just sharing things as I could. And and it ended up that a lot of the supporters of Kiva found out about my walk and we all and the staff, we created a budget and I ended up raising about, you know, 10,000 for my own expenses. And then we raised a lot more for these amazing businesses throughout the walk, which was really, really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So on average, how many miles a day were you walking? Oh, so East Coast, because of the grid, you have more towns. It's closer together. Um, it was 11 to 15 miles. I just didn't want, I, w- I wasn't wanting to rush the East Coast because I was just learning how to do this myself and I wanted to train my body. So 11 to 15 miles uh, on the East Coast and then moving through the Midwest was about 15 to 18, 15 to 20 miles. Um, and then as things got more spread out, getting into, and I'm Colorado too, so I live in Denver. Um, so getting in my home state and then into Utah, that's where it, Colorado went down a little bit because of the elevation, all the up and down. Um, but high desert ended up being 20 to 30 miles average, Utah, Nevada, because you just, it's just There's all nothing. day in these yeah. open, it's wild horses in the morning. Yeah. I have a great UFO story. I mean, there's just. Hold on. You can't, you can't just leave it. Leave it. <laughs> I got to leave it. I got to yeah. leave it. No, it's in the uh, book. Check the book out. <laughs> uh, throw me a throw me a bit of a bone. Um, just use use the term anal probe if you have to. I mean, just give me something. Oh my gosh, I love it. All of that. It's honestly, promise you, it's in my journal. I did a somersault, wiped my head, did all the things for twenty minutes, looking at this thing. Not on drugs, not doing anything. It literally, it looked like a floating jellyfish. It had kind of these tentacles. It transitioned from green, orange, uh, green, orange, and yellow. And after about 20 minutes, it turned and flew away. And it was in the middle of right over Sacramento Pass as you get over um, Great Basin National Park. Mm-hmm. I, and I, the first thing I could do was run to my journal and draw this thing in detail. I was asking everybody in all the libraries and little mining towns, like, have you even? They're like, yeah, okay, we're in Nevada, dude. There's lots of stuff. You know, there's testing. And I'm like, no, no. So, Yeah. All right. All right. Well, all right. We will. That will be a good teaser. Or that is a good teaser. For we'll get to that. So how much time did you find yourself? I mean, uh, having to camp out versus I mean, where were you sleeping? Obviously, 120 people, I'm guessing chunk of those were letting you crash somewhere. But when you didn't have 120 people to help you out, then what were you doing? 
Yeah, it was all camping um, in any place, all the places. I, it ditches underneath uh, highway overpasses. If the weather was rough at times, I did some of that. Lots of ranches, like just dark, like you know, spot camping wherever as that yeah. sun went down. You know, and there were there were lots of there were several kind of middle of the road where I would you know, get permission to pitch a tent somewhere. For example, sometimes I'd go into, I'd make a call into a town or a library where the private, like I just learned pretty quickly trusting my instinct was, it was, I was building this instinct relationship around something about this town and me just popping a tent doesn't feel right. Listen to that, make a call. I called the library, I called a school. Sometimes I'd actually call the, the dispatch office and be like, hey, I'm walking across the U.S., I'm coming through. Do you have a suggestion on where I could just put my tent? I'll be out in the morning. And a lot of the time, not all the time, a lot of the time people would just say, yeah, just, just put it behind the big tree next to the dumpster on the other side of the pond in this park. And we'll have our night officer just, you know, we'll let him know that you're on, you're out there. So sometimes it was that, but a lot of it was just, you know, wherever, wherever I would land it. I love it. I, I have sometimes lamented that I, uh, I'm not a member of a very tight knit religious organization because then you could just go from one to the other to the other. You could, you know, pick a church, pick a synagogue, right. pick a, pick a mosque, pick whatever. Absolutely. They'll help right. you out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have a friend who she describes herself as a, a winter pilgrim and she goes on these six to six to eight month, usually uh, winter pilgrimages all over the North America and around the world. And she's extremely Catholic and, she just Catholic churches. Yeah. Everywhere. They're just dialed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ha happy to help. It's their job. Um, it's right. a sim similar right. thing for Orthodox Jews, similar thing for Muslims that I know. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't have that yes. luxury, but then again, I'm not planning to walk across the country or just go randomly in, into right. other countries at this time and have to figure yeah. it out. And wait, you were how old when you did this? Yeah. How old? Seven. Yeah. yeah. So the first time I went to Asia, I was, tw let's see, 89. So, oh, same. I was 27, 26, 27. And, awesome. uh, yeah. uh, and uh -huh. that's an interesting age to be when you're doing something like this. Cause I think people are more likely to help you than like, if I tried to do it now at 60, people would just think I'm nuts mm -hmm. or a loser. But you know, when you're, when you bump into someone who's 27, who's doing some crazy ass thing and they're lost or they're out of money or whatever, you know, you can't help but want to pat them on the head. I mean, I I remember um, I was in India and I'm trying to leave the country and I didn't know there was an exit tax at the airport and I had no money at that point. I mean, I think that was my last stop on the way home. It was my last stop on the way home. And some guy realized, uh, mm -hmm. as I was saying, exit tax, what? So he paid my exit tax and said, you probably don't have enough money for dinner and this flight was just delayed five hours, so let me buy you dinner. And just, you know, things like that happened See? all the time. But- I, yes. I think about it now. It's like if I tried to do that now at 60, I don't know if I'd get the same treatment. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. There's a lot of older, different ages out there doing, you know, walking across the country, at least within this circle. There's always, you know, there's people out there who, who aren't publicizing it or they're doing it for a lot of different reasons or needs. But for people that are making it a little bit public. Yeah. There is a circle of us that we support each other. We have these little groups where we connect. And oh, nice. I'm amazed at how many 50s, 60s, 70s, a couple did it in their 80s. I mean, they had the 80s couple had some support, like a van at different, most of the, but it's a cool, 
some people, a couple of them just retired, like, you know, and they're just like, I just, I've always just wanted to walk the land. Oh, I love and it. And they just go, ah, yeah, it's cool. Let's talk about your body. So you started out of, I mean, I can only imagine you weren't walking 10 to 15 miles a day before you started. So right. what was that like suddenly picking up that much mileage? what do you feel? What was working? What wasn't working? What did you discover? What changed? I mean, talk about the evolution of your, just literally how your body dealt with doing all these miles. Yeah, that's a good question. I, yeah. So I had only really done, you know, I would work out in a gym. I'd lift weights. I would play ball sports. I would, I'm a beach sand volleyball player, you know, things like that. So having, um, you know, not having a lot of hiking, walking experience it, Luckily, I tested out um, some good shoes and I luckily had just some good advice from other people who were just who really just told me in, in their own words, because it's walking and because you're not in a rush, like trust that your body is going to find its rhythm and it's going to communicate to you when it something needs to shift. And so just listen to the language of your body and listen, then your body will train itself for what it needs to do what you're inviting it to do. And that advice was spot on because I, from the beginning, I was like, all right, blisters forming, ankle, heel, backside. I mean, obviously shoulders, 95 pounds, but like there were things. So the listening, like not just saying, oh, I'm hurt. I just got to push through kind of like sometimes you do in sport mindset, yeah. but it's like, no, like you, if I'm the long journey, like if I'm noticing these pain points, I need to stop and listen and adjust. And, um, and that's exactly, and I'm really grateful that I loosely planned just 11 to 15 miles on the East coast per day. And so I really had time to work out the kinks, take lots of breaks, shoes on and off, let the feet breathe sock changes. Um, so I got some great tips on that from the beginning. Um, and, it, and I walked myself into the ability to do 30 mile days in the desert. It was amazing. Yeah. Are you aware of anything in particular about how your gait changed or how you were paying attention to the feedback you were getting? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good, well, and so this is all before I started wearing more barefoot. Um, so I, I have different things that I, I integrate into that now, but I, um, I would just say there were two different distinct shifts in my movement when I had backpack. And then when I was pushing the baby stroller, you know, the cart in, in the desert and different things I'd learn about my body and posture I'd learn. I mean, there were just, there were so many things related to um, just the way my, the way my hips, I, I'm kind of knock kneed and bow legged. And so there were certain parts of um, the road. Like I actually would feel less, you know, I learned just naturally, nobody told me, didn't read anything about it, but I was like, get me off the pavement. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get off the pavement. I need diversity and landscape to massage the different relationships to the unique changing landscape of my body, this, this soft body with a soft earth. And I just was, it was so, so it, that became a real significant learning to get off the road and be on those dirt medians as much as I possibly could and seeking the little nub, nubs of grass and, you know, almost like these mini massages throughout a day's route, you know, now that are so much more with barefoot shoes that it's so much more tangible. Then it was just a little more like I could feel it, but now I really feel it. Yeah. yeah. 
It's funny. People um, uh, people will sometimes say about minimalist footwear, barefoot stuff. They go, well, we didn't evolve to walk on those surfaces like that. I go, well, first of all, um, the hard packed mud in the places that we evolved is as hard as concrete. Secondly, yeah. just because we didn't evolve doing something doesn't mean we're not equipped to do something. I mean, we didn't evolve right. double twisting, double backflips, go watch the Olympics or fly <laughs> fighter jets or computers. You know, totally. Yes. But, yes. But to your point, but the thing that we definitely did not evolve to do and we're not necessarily equipped to do is uh, the same motion on the same surface day after day, yes. after day after day after day. Right. Yeah. And and that's yeah. the one I'm all for. But the idea that, you know, we don't have the it's a bad idea to run in some minimal shoe and do 26 miles. I go, yeah, FYI, our first customer happiness manager, he was our only customer happiness person. He did. He was 65 years old and he was doing 120 miles running 120 miles a week, mostly on like cement or pavement or whatnot uh, in our four millimeter sandals had no problem because he had really, really yeah. good form. And he was doing basically yeah. do like 10 miles a day and then long days on the or long runs on the weekend. So you can do it, but he would also go on trails mm-hmm. and do other stuff and, you know, get that variety, which is important for your body for many, many reasons. Right. Yeah. Oh, the variety was just, that was the biggest teacher for me on that walk. It was just the variety, the relationship to it. Yeah. Um, and, I, yeah. And just, li- and I think just listening to the body in general, like learning to listen to the body, like yeah. not tell the body what to do, not try and corner the body, not just put the body into like kind of this default, uh, whatever the default is, whatever you grew up with or didn't grow up with, whatever brand, whatever, like to actually shift the relationship and listen to it. I, that was, and these were all things that were helping me learn about a walking pace and a gait. Anyway, all those things. Yeah. You reminded me, I mean, this, this whole idea of how we just try to force our body to do things for whatever reason. I mean, I, there's two things that popped in my head. One is when I got back into sprinting, it took me maybe at least three years, maybe four till it occurred to me that when I had the thought, let me just do one more. That was my cue to stop <laughs> not to do one more. <laughs> when you and, have uh, the thought. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that has served me very well. Um, like, you know, if yeah. I'm on the track now and I get like, if I feel something, just something feels a little off, it's like, I'm just yeah. done. I don't I'm need to done. Uh, push through it. And I've, I mean, I've remained basically uninjured for 13 years as a result of that. But right. you also reminded me of one of my favorite versions of this. So I'm a, I think, 17 year member of the Polar Bear Club. So yeah. January 1st, you know, they chip away the ice. We go jumping in the reservoir. And it used to, for a while, they had a thing where uh, they did it in between two docks and you could just jump in off the dock and then get out of the water or you could jump in and swim to the other dock. So maybe 50 feet. And I'm there with a, with a, a friend of mine, a woman who there was two things that were really fun about this. One is they said, who wants to do this naked? And she just immediately raises her hand and then looks That's at me and goes, Oh, that wasn't a good idea. I haven't shaved my legs. And I said, trust me, no one's going to be looking at your legs. So, um, so anyway, we, uh, we, and I did not so do it. Uh, it's like, come on. All right. Yeah, not my thing. So, um, so dive in off the off the dock and start swimming to the other dock. And I get there first and I jump onto the dock. I jump out of the water onto the dock and I turn around just as she gets her hands on the dock and starts to lift herself up and then gets this weird look on her face. It was half terror, half confusion as she starts to sink back into the water. And mm-hmm. I just grab her and lift her out of the water and, you know, put Ooh. it down. And she says, that was the first time in my life 
that my body didn't do what I told it to do. Wow. And it just, it just literally just shook her to the core. And for whatever reason, and I don't know why, mm-hmm. that's the relationship that most of us have most of the time. Mm-hmm. It's a weird Big one. Time. Yeah. yeah. And it, I wouldn't have had the language for it back then, but I, as somebody who, as I shared earlier, like just suppressed so many things, just buried things in my body, mental things, emotional things, situational things. I just buried stuff. And, and so I can see, you know, just how disconnected I was from my body and why this, you know, this really complicated, almost lava-like energy around when I was reading this book, Walk Across America, when the body, like all these things were happening and I didn't understand all of it until I was just out there, just moving with it. And, and oh, it was like, it was, it was an interesting, like it was healing, but it was also grief. And it was mm. just coming into this, like, I don't know, moving into the full thing. It was powerful. And that's so, I mean, because of you, I'm just how I'm talking about it now. It's just why, you know, I was so eager to learn from my body, from the earth, from people, from, I just wanted to restart. And I think that's where um, already having kind of the, like just being an artist as a kid, um, that's hence why now just being a walking artist is like, this is my work. I, I love it. We will get there in a moment. But first, two questions. One, I would yeah. be remiss if I did not ask any interesting romantic stories. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, so I, well, I had a partner that was, that was most, we were mostly together throughout. So okay. part of me like laments that <laughs> I'm like, man, can we just have waited? Um, like, cause there would, there were some just beautiful opportunities of, uh, exploration and color. I think about just different musicians. I met people in different stories of, ah, uh, so there's more like, just like, ah, uh, <laughs> what could that have been? You know, times maybe 15 Wait, across I, the country. <laughs> I, I got to give you one. Um, when, when Lane and I first got together, um, we, we were a couple. Um, I mean, I, I definitely knew I wanted to marry this woman, but we went back to my 20th high school reunion. And all the men, except for one, and that's a whole other story that I'll I'll save for another time. But most of the men had gotten, you know, pretty fat and pretty bald. And at one point, I turned to Lena and I said, uh, I got to tell you one of the reasons that I love you. She goes, what? I said, because you will appreciate what I mean when I say this. If you weren't here right now, I would so be getting laid tonight. <laughs> so so I can appreciate that there's opportunities that, you know, you were in a situation where you weren't going to take I get it. Yes. And I, I, you know, it's just, I think part of it too, is what, like, even the the neurology of walking is so beautiful to me. And so to be out there for so many days, I love the neuroscientist, Brian, uh, uh, um, um, why am I spacing his name? In Praise of Walking is his book, but he's just, he's a neuroscientist and he just kind of breaks down and he's just based in simple terms is just saying like, after about 20 minutes, you're creating new neural pathways. Yeah. And I just, that like, so to be on these, like to be walking 15 miles a day to be seeking all these, and I'm such a feeler and I'm a sensitive person. And I just, Oh my gosh, sexual energy was going in every direction. And it was amazing. (laughs) Like just reclaiming sexual expression. Like I, I walked hours naked in the desert when there were, you know, cars or, I mean, just parading around and, Oh, it was just such a, so I, I loved, I lament 
being in a relationship. It was a good relationship. We're still together. We're married, but it's oh, that's like, great. But you know, I, I'll throw this in, in the mix though, and I'm wondering if this is your experience. Like when when Lane and I, before we were a couple, and I was trying to do everything in my power to make us a couple, which she had no interest in whatsoever. In fact, <laughs> I went to visit her once. She had moved to Albuquerque, and she said, "You can come visit, but you're going to be sleeping on the floor, and you know, don't touch me, don't even think about it." And mm-hmm. um, I was very attracted to this woman, and so I had all this sexual energy sort of moving through my body, but nothing to do with it. And by the end of that weekend, I was just so blissed out because it wasn't being used in some way. Yeah. Ringing a bell? Yeah, absolutely. And it was, I, well, and I, the, the only way, the way I relate to it is it was just, I was even, I was so much more, you know, just sometimes different teachers of mine have, have shared things like sexuality being a portal, like just not necessarily like relational intercourse, but just sexuality in general, like sexual connection. And so I just would find myself really drawn to these stories of people I would stay with or, or walk with or get to know, like during my breaks, I just, I would find myself like so much, like even more engaged and present and like there would be all these things connecting, or I would literally like hug trees for long periods of time. I would feel this, the warm mud under this, under the creek and really sensually like, so yeah, I don't know if that's the same, but it's a similar like... No, I, th- I think it is because I think we all have habits of how we deal with energy in our bodies. Like yeah. <laughs> Lane is taking a, we're going to Europe um, to do some bus- uh, business with our European office and she's got really bad jet lag issues. So she came up with this brilliant idea. She's taking the Queen Mary, which mm-hmm. is a riot. And so they have formal dinner and then three galas during the trip. So she got all these clothes to wear. And so she asked me to take pictures for her mom. And I was just commenting on just like how uh, incredible these outfits were and how hot she looked. She goes, well, you know, I noticed that you'd like glance at me and then just like look away. I said, yeah, because I can't tolerate anymore. <laughs> right. like, I got so much. I mean, just, it makes so much happen in my my yes. every part of my body. I literally. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Sexual energy is so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one that I don't think we. We don't explore it in a way where people can 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 talk about it or or explore explore yeah. in a way that is either uh, yeah. safe or just not about having actual sex. Just what is it when this right. comes up with you know maybe someone that you don't expect it to or someone that you did and it doesn't. Or right. I mean, you know it's a it's a very interesting topic that um, and I know just in my own life I mean it, it has not happened in a way that other than like a conversation like this, frankly. Yeah. And it's, it's, I just, I think, you know, for me, at least it would, you know, coming so much of my walk was about accepting sexuality because, you know, some of the background, I, this is in my book as well. I I get really raw about like just my personal, I was, you know, there was a lot of shame around being gay or queer kind of on this spectrum. And I just was like, I, this is, I was suicidal for three months. I lived in Ireland. I was on that edge. I grew up with complicated religious stuff stories of, you know, all the things that get attached to those things. And I was like, this is part of my, I got to walk, I got to walk this out. And so anytime it would come up, I just wanted to greet it with like, with warmth and curiosity. And like, how do I, how do I treat this differently as it comes out? And, and so just, I think again, like that, you know, eight and a half month, relationship shift to all these things that were trying to take me out in some ways. And 
um, walking literally being a medicine for so many things and sexuality, like sexual expression and what people go through sexually and the, the hard things, the shameful things, the deep things, the dreaming things, the secret things, like how to just, and I love what I love about walking is when I'm moving with other people and sexual stuff comes up, it's like you're, you're side by side. You're not, you're moving, there's movement. And, you know, you have nature all around you, sunsets, sunrises, trees that twist and break and bend and non-binary, non-conforming, queer flowers. Like you just got like <laughs> stuff saying, be you. And and you're to be a witness and to someone's, oh, I could go on and on. We could do a whole thing on this. <laughs> it would be interesting. I'll tell you, there's a very, I wonder if this is, if there's a variation. So See, I don't want to dive into this too deeply. Um, some people know I had a, uh, we referred to it as a health scare or a health mm-hmm. something or medical something. Um, uh, in short, there was a period of time in the last few months where it was indeterminate about uh, whether I was going to be dead within one to five years. Wow. From the moment that I got that diagnosis and did not mm-hmm. know, and arguably still don't really because none of us do, but that's a different story. Yeah. But this yeah. is something that, you know, demonstrably could have been something that would, would have killed me. Yeah. A hundred times a day, I was just blissed out by either, you know, seeing clouds and just uh, the way I describe it. Sometimes I go, I felt like an alien that I either just landed here and was going, oh, my mm. God, look at that. Yeah. Or I'd been here for a while and had to go back, had to go back to my planet. And it's like, oh, I'm going to miss that. But it wasn't wow. sad. It was just like, this is so enjoyable. And I don't remember mm-hmm. it having a sexual component per se, but it was just this like full body kind of gratitude slash bliss slash a lot of movement. And not always when I was walking, but I mean, I walked my dog for about an hour a day, a lot of time walking the dog, often when I was in the car, often it's random. Yeah. Uh, and it was delightful in the truest sense of the word. Yeah. That, yes. It's like probably one of one of the, I, I mean, and just in just honoring what you shared, and that's exactly one of the things. The the, the awe, I, I think, keep thinking of awe, like just awe, like awe, awe, like, and I, just the gifts of walking as a practice. Like, so it's there's utilitarian walking. We're pedestrians. I got to get to the store. There's exercise walking, but just from like to open towards just awe and to like let those channels, the emotional ones, the sensual ones, the I'm I'm actually maybe a part of the cloud and the cloud is a part of me. Oh my gosh. What does that feel like? Yeah. Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's a good one. And, you know, I think we just hit on something, which is that it's unusual to have those experience unless for some reason, voluntary or otherwise, you're sort of thrust into a radically different world, if you will, a radically different uh, way of experiencing yourself on the planet. And so, you know, mine was just like, Hey, by the way, this could kill you. And you're, <laughs> Hey, uh, right. well, arguably I'm, I'm sure you had that thought every now and then yeah. on the road. Yes. Like, oh, this one, this is sketchy. I hope I make it. Yep. Oh my gosh. Several times. Yeah. 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 No, it's no, it's no question. Like that whole, the tension of those edges, mm-hmm. um, you know, helping, kind of guide a whole new way of just listening, connecting, opening, releasing, 
you know, all these different things that happen, you know, I, I always reference walking, but I, it can be other things. It's just, yeah. you know, I have friends that experience some similar things like that in music, but just like that. Uh, yeah. It, it just on the edge, like this is, I'm going to, I may not survive this. Mm -hmm. And so what, what does life look like forward if there is a forward and, uh, you know, and, and, you can't, and, and here, the thing that occurred to me, I remembered when I started having this experience there was um, two meditation teachers, husband and wife, who decided to experiment and pretend they were going to die in a year and just mm -hmm. see what was it like to you know, kind of gear up knowing that a year from now they were going to die. And I remember this is 30 years, 35 years ago. I remember even then thinking, you know, you can't fake it. No. <laughs> this happened was going on for me. I kept thinking about that book. It's like, yeah, no. And you don't want to I don't well, I wouldn't argue that anyone should put themselves in a position um, like this artificially. But I mean, I talked to a number of friends who had been going through uh, cancer treatments and I was telling them what I was experiencing. And they went, you know what, other than when I'm having chemo or worried about my kids when I'm dead, that's exactly the experience. Because I mean, I know that this is not going to end well or not, uh, not well, it's not going to mm -hmm. end the way I imagined. And it's sort of a shame that there's not another, let's call it safe way. I know that sounds paradoxical with what we're talking about, to have that kind of experience where it just... It is almost thrust oh. upon you the awesomeness of things, the preciousness of things, and maybe maybe it's a psychedelic thing. I don't do psychedelics. <laughs> it, I yeah, there's people I know that will will share some things like that. I the chapter at the end is called "Walking as Rite of Passage," and mm -hmm. I it I just I put it out there. It definitely wouldn't say easy. It's not you know, <laughs> but it's I, I the there's something about like. I call the little subsection the aching edge and it's like even just like the thought and I, I share this with a lot of students when i'm doing school stuff and they're like hey where would you like you know like where could we go what should we plan to do like how how do i do something like this and i'm like honestly right out your front door for six days <laughs> oh just go for six days yeah three days two and just see I like the, the, that. even that mindset of like out of those comfort the comfort defaults yeah but of, i wondered you know you're you had a plan but no you're right it's it's yeah yeah that, it's that, it's not the same no, but to know, to know yeah. that at a certain amount of time you're going to come yeah. back, everything's gonna be cool totally yeah I, which brings me to well two things i, I want it's going to bring me somewhere but first i have to say the whole thing about uh building uh, new neurons Kirk Erickson, mm -hmm. at University of Pittsburgh, this is mm, 10, 12 years ago or so, he had just completed a longitudinal study on elderly people walking and found that the ones who walked more or maybe walked at all retained more gray matter than those who didn't. And I said to him, imagine, I said, why do you think that is? He goes, well, all the stimulation. I said, imagine what it would have been like if they weren't walking in big, thick, padded, motion controlled shoes. He goes like, oh, yeah. So, but... That was a nine-year study that had lots and lots of money behind it. We, we don't have that luxury at the moment. Uh, <laughs> which, which brings me to, you get to the Pacific Ocean, A, I want to know where you landed, but B, I, I can't even imagine the panoply, a word I don't get to use very often, of emotions and feelings you must have had at that moment. So where'd you land and what, what was it like just even knowing you were going to be there in some amount of time and then actually getting there? Yeah, it was the, the words that I use that were just so very loud then and are still now is like just the beginning, the beginning of that walk was kind of like a trembling, like this is, this is kind of a, 
I don't want to say last shot, but it's a big shot. Like, am I going to survive this? And the the leading story was, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to be strong, to defend myself, to to name when I'm hurt, to to name when to name my dreams publicly, to name and be the reason there is conflict. Whatever the what, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. All these voices. And by the time I crossed through Nevada, walking naked in the desert, UFO talking to me, getting to California, I'm like, I have what it takes. <laughs> I just climbed over mountains. I met millions, thousands of people. I survived. I learned things I never. So getting to that beach at San Francisco is where we finished. And so funny story, randomly connecting nakedness, but like I... <laughs> I had, please tell, wait, I, please, I, tell, please tell me it was Baker beach. It was, yeah. and I had no idea. So I didn't know. Well, I'm wait, like, we well, got to just... hold on. We got to say why that's explain why that's so relevant. It's a nude beach. The North end of in it. San, yeah. in San Francisco. And I'm just like, so I have, I have my great uncle from Kansas and my great aunts from <laughs> I have rural people or flying out and I'm like, we're going to meet at this beach because this is close to the Presidio where we're doing the event and whatever. So we just, everybody met there and I had amazing people who were host families um, were flying out to walk with me uh, that last day along the beach, which was, so we had about a hundred people moving through the city because Kiva's headquarters are in San Francisco. So they had staff, we had host families. And then my, my my like rural Kansas relatives are waiting at the beach and they're just so like in their suits and humble and and we get to the beach and we are all hundred of us walking through hundreds of naked bodies. It was the best. My <laughs> uncle's just oh, like my aunt is like clinging and looking and they're all everybody's getting excited but doesn't know what to do. The people who are nude hanging out, like, why are you walking through us? Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Absolutely oh, amazing. So was it was it relief? Was it, I mean, sadness that it was ending? I mean, I can oh. just imagine, you know, things rolling through uh, one after another after another, some contradictory, some just in expanding whatever the previous one was. I mean, and then and then the next day you wake up. I mean, what the hell was happening? Yeah, that it was all the above. And it was just and that that really started like a couple weeks into California or towards the end. I just was like, oh, what? This has become my not only like my kind of recalibrated sense of self and connection to others and to the planet and to these new teachers, but this is this is my primary medicine, clearly. And so how do I what do I how do I keep this? Do I just keep walking? Do I do it? different like long distance trip how do i and it just you know and so it was pretty quickly i was like i have i have to integrate it i have to keep walking i know i have to keep walking i know that's that's in the cards it's in the story and um so then it shifted you know a couple months and i started it was like one of the loudest things along the walk was what i would also notice in other people as that when they would join me for an hour or a couple days or I mean, within 20, 30 minutes, the things that we were able to share with each other, the things that were able to kind of surface, the way they would be able to communicate, wow, I had never walked through my town from this side to the other side before. And I've lived here my whole life and I'm 45 or like I've just uh, these things that just were 
I've never shared that with anybody or it felt so good to just move and just get out of like whatever I was stuck in or, you know, all these things that the, the, the reflections would stack and stack. And so I experimented with this project called walk to connect. That's what I called it connection because connection just felt so loud around all of it. And so then I just, within a couple months just started hosting walks and I started, I put it on meetup.com and my first walk was 26 mile loop around Denver. Who wants to join? And no signups, none, nobody. And I, I was like, well, okay, well, it's got to be 24 next weekend, 24 miles. Nobody signed up. And then I bumped it down to 18, had three people. And that was the first walk to connect experience. It was an 18 mile loop around Denver. And then from there, it was just hosting walks of all sizes, themes, topics, training leaders, doing things, did that for years. Yeah. So I kept myself out there, had to. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, and so we started the conversation. Um, part of what you mentioned was, um, correct me if I'm remembering the phrase wrong, pedestrian safety? Yeah. So there's a project that has, has so throughout the cross-country walk, and then as I started doing walking events with Walk to Connect, uh, a loud learning, loud, was just around built environment and safety and accessibility. I would just spend hours waiting with people, connecting with people at bus stops. I, I, I have so many visceral memories of, and, and still to this day of, of elders specifically, elder grandparents um, holding with one hand their grandchildren, like clutching their hands. And then the other hand, like four grocery bags waiting for a bus that only comes once an hour without a bench or a shelter in the rain and just experiencing these uh, families that are just from all these different backgrounds and situations and circumstances, people who move on wheelchair, who are in a state highway, who live in the apartment or trying to get to the grocery store because there's no sidewalk. I just would see scenario after scenario, hundreds of how pedestrian mobility is so um, under-prioritized as a, a modality of transportation. And so all this stuff, hosted events, got elected leaders out, did things for years, and I just, I still wasn't seeing a, a, like enough changing in the system. And so I, as an artist, I just, the last three, four years, I'm like, how can I just try and get more creative with this? And how do I engage younger audiences in particular? And so I created this project called Pedestrian Dignity, where it was just focused on like the dignity of a human body moving through any given environment, trying to get home, get to work on foot or on a wheelchair. And how can I how can I share stories related to this topic from the lived experience framework? And so I, I've been playing on TikTok and Instagram. I'm 40. I don't know what I'm doing on there. I shouldn't be on there. I hate it, but I love what I'm, I love who I'm connecting to on there and some yeah. of the seeds that are getting planted around telling these stories from a lived experience framework. And so the pedestrian dignity project is a part of my creative work. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, well, I hate to do this because I think we could keep going forever. We could, <laughs> yes. Uh, but A, we can't uh, for numerous reasons, not the least of which being I got to pee. And uh, <laughs> although not the most pressing one, I will confess. Right, so, right. Um, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. And I'm yes. sure there's a million questions that I haven't thought to ask and that other people have you know, going through their head because just trying to imagine doing something like what you've done is 
that alone is a bit of an adventure. And I am curious to hear where, where people go with that and what they want to know. Um, and I imagine they can ask you those questions. So if people want to get in touch with you and find out more, I hear a rumor that you have a book of some sort. I don't know where I got that idea. <laughs> but can you tell people how they can find you and find out more and find your book, et cetera? Yeah, thank you, Stephen. I so the book is titled uh, "Walk All Capitals um, and Slow Down, Wake Up, and Connect at One to Three Miles Per Hour." And so it's nonfiction, creative nonfiction. I, I do pen and ink artwork. There's artwork. There's practices, stories, essays, um, and you can find it anywhere books are sold. Check your local bookstore. I highly recommend the audio book because you can take it with you as you're moving um, while you're walking and. And then it just my creative work is at intrinsicpaths.com. So you can sign up for events. I'm hosting events all the time in Colorado and outside. And I've got my uh, pen and ink artwork on there as well. So intrinsicpaths.com is a great way. I can only assume there's a link to find the book from there as well. Yes. Yes. Yep. So, well, then please do reach out to Jonathan with uh, any questions, any whatever. Find the book. Go for a walk. Um, if you can't find him, just, you know, go for a walk. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, this has been a, a total, total pleasure. So uh, first of all, again, thank you. Looking forward yeah. to what's next. Um, since we're neighbors, we need to do something about that. And, Absolutely. You know, we can take a walk. And, right. <laughs> and I, if so, I can promote your shoe, I mean, these, I've loved them. I've have this is my first pair. And I'm wearing them everywhere. I love the way they feel. I love the way they support me. I wear five fingers all the time. I love those, but these are just a diff. I have a different relationship with these. So, so eager to connect more on how I can support and promote. Too. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, well, we will figure that out for everyone else who would like to support this whole idea of natural movement, including zero shoes, but not required. Then do me a favor. Just remember, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. Um, you'll find all the previous episodes, all the ways you can find us on social media, et cetera. If you have any questions or comments, anything um, you think we should do on the show, anyone you want to recommend that I talk to, um, if you can find someone who's willing to talk to me who thinks I have a case of cranial rectal reorientation syndrome, uh, I'm open to that. I keep trying to find people who are willing to talk to me who think I'm completely full of it, but uh, they seem to get scared away at some point, but you know, maybe someday. Uh, anyway, you'll find all of that, but if you have uh, anything specific, you can reach out to me. Just drop me an email. Move, M-O-V-E, at jointhemovementmovement.com. And most importantly, just go out and have fun and live life feet first.